turn back to the Old Testament Scriptures. We'll read the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy. As the Word says, double law or second law, Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments are actually given in full twice in Exodus and here in Deuteronomy in chapter 5. Let us listen to God's Word. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount, saying, and he quotes, the Lord, the Lord's voice, 40 years before. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm, Therefore, the Lord thy God keep, uh, commandeth thee to keep the Sabbath day. If you notice the difference, he referred 40 years ago to the fact that of creation of six days and resting the seventh. So you add now this, this other motivation of the Exodus, continuing the thought, of course, that the Sabbath originated at creation. Commandment number 5, verse 16. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, 
that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou, uh, neither shalt thou steal, neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. These words, the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness, with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone, and delivered them unto me. What sacred ground we have covered this morning. Reading a summary of the Word of God, which is called the Ten Commandments. Turning back to Exodus chapter 20. You know the difference between a telescope and a microscope. Well, I would like to use a microscope and consider each of the ten words that we know of as the Ten Commandments. But I would like to use a telescope, in a sense, this morning. Have a little bit of a general, longer view of the Law of God or the Ten Commandments. You know from chapter 19 that the people prepared for two days for the moment they were waiting for, for this occasion. You remember the three thoughts of how we prepare to, to meet with the Lord or how we prepare for the Lord to meet with us. That we refresh our gratitude for His grace. I am the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt. We deepen our reverence for Him as He had so many visual and audio effects uh, and the uh, threatenings. How the Lord is serious about us preparing ourselves to meet with the the living and the holy God. And thirdly, that we need to be on our guard to think that we might be thorough in our obedience, yet the Lord calls Moses up to the mount and He says, go right back down again because the people are prone to disobedience and how we need to, as we prepare our hearts to worship, to remember that we need more um, facilitation of obedient hearts, don't we? more uh, zeal to seek the Lord, more consistency in our obedience. This is called the reading of the Decalogue. The word Decalogue means ten words. And that's literally what they're called, for instance, in Exodus 34.28. The authorized version, this, the Bible here, what we use, is call, it calls the, Exodus 34.28 the Ten Commandments. The actual Hebrew word is the ten words. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the ten words. Even in Deuteronomy 10 verse 4, it's called the ten words. We'll look at that in time. But it also is commonly called the ten commandments. For instance, in Exodus 24.12, I will give thee commandments which I have written. But... The Ten Commandments are firstly called the Ten Words. And what I'd like us to do is just kind of take a, 
in a, uh, an objective view from a little distance of the Decalogue and various uh, ways in which we can extract general truths from the Ten Commandments before we get to the specific commandments themselves. First of all, they are called words. That is, they're messages. That's the particular uh, Hebrew word. They're truths. We have to keep that in mind. These are truths from God. They're messages. Each one is its own message. It says God spake or spoke all these words. Notice in verse 1. They're words. They're ideas. They're doctrines. They're messages from God. Keep that in mind. In other words, they're sermons in and of themselves. Now, all of these, remember, are summaries. For instance, when it says, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, it doesn't mean, well, you can commit fornication or you can commit homosexuality. The only thing that's forbidden is adultery. In other words, these are summaries. They're categories that are being enumerated. And the category of the seventh command, for instance, is immorality but it's also in a positive light, morality. So, and we'll get to that, but they're messages, they're categories of thoughts, ideas, and truths. They have meaning, in other words. They can be understood and convey uh, specific things. For instance, number one is clearly teaching monotheism. I don't want you to have Allah as well as Jehovah. I don't want you to have Buddha Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The word before is in my face. In other words, it's insulting to God to appear before Him with another God on your shoulder or in your heart. It's absolutely insulting to Him. It would again be like uh, you know, some, someone appearing before your spouse, that, uh, before you, that's not your spouse, and... and uh, it would be insulting. And it's saying here that the Lord is to be the only God. Now that doesn't teach yet Trinitarianism, though we think that even the plural of God, Elohim, may suggest plurality as well as singularity. So we know that there's meaning, specific meaning that can be distinguished from the other commandments. Like number three, thou shalt not misuse the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It speaks of holiness, the holiness of God. And, and uh, we also have to see that God's name is not just referring to His proper names. When we think of name, we think of John or, or uh, um, Missy or something like that. Now, that's included his, his proper names that he has coined for himself, certainly included in don't misuse the name God or the name Jehovah or the name Jesus. But name refers to his reputation, what, um, what, what his words signify about him, what his, his uh, works sing, signify about him. In other words, we can misuse the idea of miracles, not just proper names. We can make light and say, well, that was a miracle catch on the field. That's misusing something that should be reserved for God. 
God does miracles. And uh, it's not a miracle that somebody caught a football over somebody's head or caught it one-handed. It was a nice play. It was a feat of humanity, but it wasn't a miracle. It's an insult to God. We have to see that His words, even the use of the, 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 the Bible, sarcastically using words, making jokes of statements in the Bible, we have to be cautious about that. Because we want people to have a reverent, um, a reverent reaction to the Word of God. Not, there are statements in here you've heard people make jokes about that, that have a poor reflection on the Bible. And we ought to be careful how we use God's Word. It's, it's, it's about His name. It's about His reputation. So as we look at the ten words, they're all messages from God that are very, they're very broad in, its, in their meaning, in the sense of the categories. It's like the psalmist said, Thy commandments are exceeding broad. In other words, the categories are amazingly immense. The category of immorality includes all forms of immorality. The category, and it also includes all the forms of morality. Secondly, notice it says, God spoke these words. God spoke these words. That speaks of authority. These words were spoken audibly. They were loud. They were in a voice, in God's voice. Deuteronomy 5.4 says, The Lord talked with you face to face in a great voice, verse 22. In other words, God gave them some visual and very... The very uh, uh, intimidating audio effects. But what does that say? He's, he's, he speaks audibly from the mount out to the people. They sensed authority, power, that this was the voice of God. Now, none of us know what the voice of God sounded like. Uh, it seems like it was a combination of a trumpet and you think about the voice of the Lord that John heard at, at, uh, on the island of Patmos. Um, his voice was as the sound of many waters, like a trumpet. How do you combine the thoughts of a trumpet and, and rushing water? Just authority, don't you? Remember, you know, when we stand before uh, someone playing a trumpet or a a band playing trumpets. It's, there's just something powerful about some of the instruments that we hear. Uh, attention getting. They use trumpets to get the attention of the people and they had different kinds of trumpets to say, prepare for war, prepare for public worship, or prepare for something else. Whether it was a ram's horn or whether it was some other uh, instrument. But, but standing before Niagara Falls or some uh, powerful um, body of water, the ocean, the, the, this, the waves crashing, and there's something about authority there. Power. Uh, no one dared underestimate. I remember this huge running back for a football team. He was 250 pounds, and, and just he would plow over people, but he was, he was just a little plaything in the, in the ocean. He had to be rescued by a helicopter. This big, gigantic fellow that just plowed over linebackers when he ran, ran through the line 
had to be rescued from an ocean. I remember a, a Syracuse University lineman was in Hawaii. I think he was at the College Bowl or something, what they called it. I forgot. But he had to be rescued. And he was saying how he felt like he was just a, a little toy soldier in the midst of those waves that were crashing in on him there in Hawaii. And you know, those people must have just trembled. And it says they trembled. Even Moses trembled. The voice of God. And I wonder, as we read God's Word, do we sense the authority of the Lord? What does the Bible say that the, 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 the uh, prophets said when they spoke? Thus saith the Lord. That's often how they prefaced what they were going to say. In other words... Hear ye, hear ye. This is, the, this is the message of the King, the universal God. And the Lord wants us to have that sense of the fact that He is on the throne. He's the King speaking to us. And we're to listen. Yes, there's a familiarity as our Father. But you know, in, in the best homes, the Father was seen as authoritative. Father and mother, both parents. And yet, they would be empathetic and loving, but you respected them. Those were the best homes where the parents were respected as fathers and mothers. Oh, they were friends, but they were respected parents. We recognize their authority, and yet we also recognize their charity, their love. And so as, you, as we look at the Ten Commandments, we should remember that God is speaking with power, with authority, we're not to uh, take these words, these messages, and hear these sermons lightly. But I want us to see also the fact that there was grace. So often we look at the Ten Commandments as in a cowering way. We don't want to put them on our walls because they make us feel guilty and they make us think about thunder and lightning, which there is a, there is a place for that as, as He speaks with authority. But do you know that five times he says to them in the Ten Commandments, the Lord thy God. It's not like he has a, a hammer in his hand. The Lord thy God. He speaks of grace. I'm the Lord thy God. Do you see that? I am the, right away, I am the Lord thy God. Personal. A personal relationship. A gracious relationship. Verse 5, I, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Verse 7, the Lord, take not the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The first three commandments. Yea, the first four. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. There's grace. You see a fifth one there as well? Sure enough, well, you see the, the Lord in verse 11, twice. But verse 12, the fifth commandment, the first five commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Do you see grace there? He's saying, I've not come to you as a, as, as a uh, terrifying judge. I have delivered you from Egypt. I have saved you from your sins. That's the idea that is to be conveyed to believers. 
And so as I command these messages, I'm doing so as your God. The God that loves you. The God that, that saved you. And we need to see it in that light. Or else we miss the grace that God intends. So often it's just do's and don'ts that we see in the Ten Commandments. Oh, there are do's and don'ts. But there's grace. Do we see the do's and don'ts of our parents as we grew up as only uh, negative uh, threatenings? Or just basically obey or else? Certainly we saw them, I trust, as, as loving necessities to, to keep the household running properly. In other words, the Lord is saying, because you're o- redeemed, obey me. There's no message here, obey and you'll be saved. It's exactly the reverse. I have delivered you from Egypt. I've redeemed you. Therefore, obey me. The obedience is a result of His gracious salvation. Where with Adam, it was obey or else. If you obey me, there's going to be a point where you'll earn eternal life. If not, you're doomed. So the, there was works righteousness. It was, it's called a covenant of works in Adam. But we have failed at that. Adam failed and all of us in Adam failed. Now it's the covenant of grace. It's no longer do and live. It's live and do. That's the point of grace. Now, in other words, we have to be careful to think, well, faith and obedience don't go together. It's sometimes we throw out the obedient part of it because we think that it means works righteousness. But remember the song we sing, you probably should finish with this. Trust, first of all, and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's not obey and trust. It's trust and obey. They had it right. With Adam, it was obey and live. Obey and trust. Not with in Christ. Faith and obedience, in other words, are mutually inclusive. And so we ought not to see these thou shalt and thou shalt nots as menacing things, but it's saying, this is the way I want you to obey. Next, we see that there's a covenant relationship being conveyed in this uh, Decalogue, the ten words. Back in chapter 19, he said in verse 5, If you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, He's referring now to what he would say there from the mount. He called them a peculiar people, a people special, special people, his private property, his precious jewels is the idea. But notice the covenant name Lord is throughout this Decalogue. Not only thy God, our personal relationship, but the the, the, the name that he, he's coined for himself, Lord or Yahweh, you know as Jehovah, is his covenant name. In other words, it's, his, it's like the, the name spouse or, the, or, or uh, bride or husband. In other words, he's saying, here are the vows that I'm having us make. Now, in a sense, obviously, since he is sovereign, 
He says, these are the vows I want you to keep. And of course, he keeps his word. He's going to have no other gods before him. He's going to use his name in a holy way. Are you following me? In other words, he wants us to... We have vows. Normally, so often today though, the vows are so nebulous. They don't include the Lord. They don't include his word. It's just... uh, It's void of any religion or, or truth. In other words... We're standing before God saying, we're married to you. And He's saying, okay, these are the vows I want you to keep to be faithful in this covenant relationship. It's a covenant, it's not a, it's not a loose relationship. Okay, what do I need to do to be a faithful spouse? A faith, the Bible calls the church His spouse, His bride. Well, I want you to have me as your God and make sure you have no other gods before you. That will show that you love me. And so we see this as a covenant relationship with a motivation of love. And that's an interesting thing. How often people will look at the Ten Commandments and think of anything but love. It's, it's obedience or else. But notice how, what motivation the Lord wants us to have in obedience. Look at verse 6. God shows mercy, and that's covenant mercy, that's salvation. He shows mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You see that that's the primary motivation for obedience is love. Not fear, though fear is 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 relevant and fear is is mutually inclusive. Respect for God, but love. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. So love is the motivation. Just like we, in a, in a marriage relationship, shouldn't it be love that causes us to keep our vows? And so, remember, this is a covenant relationship between God and His people. And remember, the Lord, interestingly, summarized the Ten Commandments with two commandments. And isn't it amazing how he makes it so simple that a child can understand? What are the two summaries? Thou shalt cower from the Lord thy God. No. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So God summarizes the ten by two and the whole law by two. The motivation of love. Lord, I I love you. I don't want any other gods. There aren't any anyway. Why would I want another God if there aren't any in the first place? But He has satisfied all our needs. He has saved us from... Even if there were, why would we? But there aren't. It's just illogical and insulting for us to have any other gods. And it's not just Allah or Buddha. It could be a thing that we pay most attention to. It could be a person, right? That we can idolize. And where we can neglect our relationship with God over some thing, some idol, some person. Do we need to get new batteries? Microsoft, Microsoft, I think your, your, your Facebook, um, the 
Oh yes, the Facebook says low battery again. You know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go back again. We got to get make sure that that is um, charged. We did this last week as well. Thank you, and your mom's watching. I don't think they can hear me right now. It's kind of like, you know, they call the interpreters interrupters. I feel like the ball was rolling and it crashed against the wall and I got to get it moving again. Okay. We're looking at a telescopic view of the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. and So far we have considered the fact that they're truths, they're messages from God. They're called the Ten Words. The fact that He spoke audibly indicates that these are messages that have authority behind them, have the power of God's person behind them. But they're also a revelation of the fact of God's grace that they were given to a people who were already redeemed. They were not given to a people in order that they could be redeemed by their obedience. In other words, the Ten Commandments are the opposite of works righteousness. So often people will think that to to uh, continue to consider the Ten Commandments is uh, works righteousness when The Ten Commandments were given by the Lord thy God. Five times we find that in the Decalogue. Because you're you're redeemed, I want you to obey. Indeed, like the song, the hymn says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. No. This is becoming an interruption. I don't know what you mean by... Ten commandments were given by the Lord by God five times we find that in the Decalogue. I'm very sorry. We have to see that the Ten Commandments as covenant vows. They're actually called the covenant in Exodus chapter uh, 19. And so just like you would see a bride and a groom at, at the platform, at the altar, though it's not an altar, um, they have covenant vows. And God has given us covenant vows summarized in the Ten Commandments and then summarized in, in the Two Commandments to love Him with all of our being. And to, and to then turn to love our neighbors as ourselves. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord. The second is to love our neighbors. As we look at the Ten Commandments, we see authenticity or the importance of them. Not only did the Lord speak audibly with a voice, He wrote the Ten Commandments 
on those tables. They were divinely written. Chapter 32 and verse 16 says, the tables or the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved upon the tables. That's interesting, isn't it? That the God who's invisible, who has no body parts, He doesn't have eyes, literal eyes, and literal nose, literal mouth, literal hands. But He who, he who made the eyes can He not see. He who made the hands can He not write. And you know, there are people that will say to me, the Bible is man's word. Man wrote it down. I'll say, well... That's true, but it's not true altogether. God, in His wisdom, wanted to have a secretary for what He was saying. He could have written the whole Bible by Himself. He could have written the whole Bible in clouds for us to read or on a piece of paper. But I do know this, that He did write the Ten Commandments. And He did write something in Daniel chapter 5 that says, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. And he did write something on the ground, as John 8 tells us, and no one knows what it was. It may have been the sins of the Pharisees, the ones that wanted to stone the woman taken in adultery. Which of you is without sin and cast the first stone? So I guess we only have to wait till heaven to find out what that writing was. But the fact that he wrote himself on tables of stone is just amazing. That speaks of importance and also authenticity. You read that Paul would would sometimes say, I have written with mine own hand. At least in some of those epistles, he actually signed. He had a secretary, but he, he, he signed. In other words, there were people saying, this is an epistle from Paul. That's an, a letter. So Paul had to start signing what was some, what was indeed something that he dictated so that he would show people this is authentic. And just like we have the same thing, there are people that will go to flea market and say, this is an authentic signature of uh, Mickey Mantle. And obviously you have to have professionals that will compare it and so on. And we find, we, have, we watch sometimes the, uh, the, 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 what's that called from England? The... the the antique road show and uh, they'll have these supposedly authentic things and they'll say no that's that's a replica or that's not real but then they'll have wow this is a real signature from Charles Dickens or something and say it's worth a lot of a lot of uh, not money but a lot of um, uh, pounds so we find that the Lord to show the authenticity and the importance of this document, he wrote himself uh, these ten words. Truly the Bible is the Word of God, written by himself. He could have written the whole Bible down, but think of the, the wisdom and the power of God that he could use. How many authors in different centuries to write down things that never really contradicted themselves, only seeming contradictions. That's power. That's love. That's grace. How often, you know, parents will, we want to do things for our children, but we say, no, you do it. I want you to find out what it it feels to be zapped a little bit by an electric fence. Or I want you to feel what it's like, 
what it's like to, you know what I'm saying. But so often we, it's not doing our children any good if we say, "Let me do it." I don't want, you know, I, I want to do it right instead of just saying, "Look, this is." They got to drive on their own one day, right? My grandfather taught me how to drive in his station wagon, and we were always in the big parking lot. But the day came when he said, "We're going outside the parking lot." Oh, please, you know, not outside the parking lot. It's time. And just I'm, t- I'm trying to help teach Judah to, to 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 ride a bike without training wheels. And we were in the bus parking lot the other day, and don't let me go, don't let me go. And you know he'd go about five, ten feet, and then maybe twenty feet, and he's not there yet. But I'm going to let him go one of these days. And and just like I can remember, Mom, and I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. My mother taught me how to ride. And, you know, precious memories. But I can remember, we're running down Hopper Road. She's got a hold of me. And she says, I'm letting you go. No, Mom. She let me go. And I remember seeing a, a yellow, um, what do you call those things out there? The, the fire hydrant. I went right past the fire hydrant. Mom, I'm going. There was, there was authenticity. You know, there was, there was, there was, uh, well, I've gotten off the beaten track. But the Lord showed the importance of this document by writing it with His own hands. But consider all. And I know I'm not going to finish today, so please please be patient. But the fact that the tables, the tablets, were made of plastic, of paper. Oh, a stone. What does that tell you? Almost ten times in the Old Testament it calls... The tablets, stone. Twenty four twelve, for instance, the first two tablets were hewn by God Himself. Twenty four twelve, but after Moses uh, broke them as a picture of the transgression of sin, he told Moses to hewn the, the second pair of tablets. Thirty four chapter thirty four verse one. In other words. The Lord is showing us the permanence of the Ten Commandments. They were given at creation on man's conscience. They were practiced before Sinai, as we see in Exodus chapter 16, when the people kept the Sabbath before the Lord even voiced it. They were given at Mount Sinai. They were continued as as, uh, revelations of God's will through the days of Christ and the apostles and beyond. And today we still have ten, not nine, not eleven, but ten commandments. Permanence. Dare anyone chisel out one of the ten commandments? And yet in Christianity today they say, no, there are really nine commandments. We'll keep the tenth one there as, as antiquity. How often the fourth has been chiseled out. Or maybe in other societies a different command. There's a practical chiseling out of commandment number two by the Roman church. They double commandment number ten. And they don't have. Number two is, is, is teamed with number one. But then you have the Jews who say that the preface is the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I remember being in a, in, in, Lackawanna, we went into a um, Jewish synagogue. No, it was in Buffalo, I'm sorry. It was 
It was in Buffalo, and and the Ten Commandments were on the wall. And I was the bus driver and, and took a team of people from Springville there. And, and the first commandment was the preface. And the lady was reading and she said, I don't know why that the first one is it's not even a commandment. And she admitted it herself, but then she kept going. I was hoping she'd say, wait, shouldn't you protest to your authorities that they don't have the number right? No, even the Bible speaks of the Ten Commandments. And the New Testament gives us several times a portion of the Ten Commandments indicating that they're still for today. We read together Romans chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 7.9 says, the keeping of the commandments of God is a summary of our obedience. James chapter 2 says that you break one and you break them all. In other words, it gives you the, the, the symbol of a chain. 1 John 2 verse 3 says that all sin is the transgression of God's law. And on and on and on. In other words, they have a universal, timeless, moral, eternal use. They're permanent in nature. They apply for us today and forever. Will we be able to have more than one God in heaven? And heaven will be one long Sabbath day. The fact that they're ten in number is comprehensive, the completeness of the Ten Commandments. Nobody can say, well, there should have been eleven. God missed this category. Or there should have been nine that He really... There's really an overlap of... Two categories. No, perfectly complete. That's the word number 10 means. For instance, the 10 plagues in Egypt. Why did God send 10 plagues and not 9 or not 11? Because He was going to completely devastate. It was enough to completely devastate the land of Egypt. Remember the 10 days. What did Daniel said? Prove us 10 days. Was there something magical about 10? No, the idea is prove us long enough where that will be enough time to prove that that we're not going to suffer by our diet. He was told by Nebuchadnezzar, they were told that they were ten times better than the magicians. There was no calculation. There was no test that said that they had uh, 10% more success. No, it means completely, hands down, they were better than the magicians. Elkanah said to his wife, And am I better than ten sons? The Lord gave the parable of the ten virgins. speaks about the completeness of the fact of the difference between the saved and the lost. And finally, in Revelation 2, you'll go through ten days of tribulation. It doesn't mean literal ten days. You're going to go through a very difficult, complete time of temptation and tribulation. Why two tablets, people have asked. I can't completely answer that. Were there five on one and five on the other? Were there four on one and six on the other? Were there ten on one and ten on the other? I don't think we can really conclude that. Although I have to confess I'm leaning more and more on the ten and ten. The double whammy. You break one, you got another hope. Or you keep one privately in the temple grounds or the tabernacle grounds and you have one publicly. But we'll argue till the cows come home. The point is they are on both sides. 
couldn't add to it. And you'll see very clearly if you, if you subtract from it. As James says, and you break one, you break them all. And that's what makes us think there may have been ten and ten. You break one, you break them all, literally. James uses the chain, perhaps. We would think maybe of dominoes. The interconnection of all the Ten Commandments. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. The Lord says these are unchanging in nature. You know, it's interesting how after Moses broke the, the tablets, smashed them to show that the people had sinned against God, the Lord went up, when He went up, He said, Hew two more. And He says, I'm going to put the exact words on the two um, tablets. And you can compare that, for instance, in the book of Jeremiah. The king took the leaves of the, of the words that God had, had thundered against Judah because of their sin, and the king took a knife and cut him up and threw him in the fire. And the Bible tells us that God had Jeremiah tell Baruch to write the same, but he added, it says. He added more judgments. But in here, he makes it very clear he didn't add anything. In other words, they're static. They're complete in nature. We're not looking for an 11th commandment. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself is not the 11th commandment. Or love one another as I have loved you is not the 11th commandment. It's just another summary of loving our neighbor as ourself. There are still 10 commandments. Well, I trust as we've pondered uh, this much today that the Lord is giving us a, a, uh, a reverent view of, of His Word, an appreciation of the love of God and giving us something that we'll see indeed is a revelation of His will. And as we pray that God would give us knowledge, wisdom and knowledge and the understanding of His will, that we'll see first of all what His will is and it's summarized in these commandments. May the Lord help us to to love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Let's pray.